Glue is a function gateway built on top of the popular open source project Envoy. The goal of Glue is to decouple client-facing APIs from upstream APIs. Glue is similar to an API gateway, which is a tool that software companies can use to collect all of their APIs in one place and impose security, monitoring, and other standards around those APIs. The goal of Glue is to provide all the tools necessary to glue together traditional and cloud-native applications. Edith Levine is the CEO of Solo.io, a company that is building Glue and several other projects. Edith was previously on the show to discuss microkernels, and it was great to have her back on the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Adit Levine, you are the founder and CEO of Solo.io. Welcome back to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you so much for having me. The last time that we spoke, you were at EMC, and since then you've started your own company, Solo.io. How has the transition been from working at a large organization to running your own company? Yeah, so that's actually interesting, but actually over my life, I work in a startup company. So actually the transition, the, the transition to actually EMC was really strange <laughs> because it was a big company. So I'm basically back home, right? Because I'm all my life did startups. So yeah, I mean, I much like it because I feel that you can go much faster. You know, there's not a lot of the overhead of a big organization. But then again, there is a lot of advantage to being EMC, for instance, much easier to get, I don't know, coverage or people to listen to you because you're coming from big organization. So there is a trade-off. You know? mm. Was this the first time you started a company or had you started a company before? No. So that's the first time I started it. I worked in companies, but I, I never started. That was the first one. Right. How's the experience of starting a company differ from being an early employee at a startup? I mean, it's much harder because you, specifically because I'm my, the only founder, you need to do all the work, so it's everything on you. So you need to raise the money, and you need to get investors, and you need to find space to sit. And so there is a lot, a lot of work that you do need to do in the beginning to kind of like jumpstart it. So there is much more responsibility, right? You need to do a lot of stuff, but also you're responsible for this. If this is felt, this is on you. And as an employee, you know, you, you, you do want that to succeed a lot, but you have less skin in the game. So Right. And when you started solo, did you know what you wanted to build, or were you tinkering within a universe of ideas so so actually you know this market moves so fast so when we started in the beginning what my my plan was actually even before i got the money what i pitched was regarding serverless and actually i had this idea for like over a year and so and it's it's moved right so when when i kind of like came to a point that i actually got the money i couldn't you know i had to actually you know a you know, twist it a little bit. Actually, what we did, we actually extend the idea. So before it was only about serverless, and then I saw the movement, and I also looked, and I figured out that this market is moving on the serverless, but not as fast as I wanted it to move. So I said, you know, we need also to kind of like include the current situation of the market, which is also monolithic and microservices. So that's what we did. We basically took something, and that's how Glue basically was born, right? Because basically, in the beginning, Glue was, well, we're probably going to do it only on the serverless, and then you say, you know what, actually... The biggest problem in the market right now is actually to move from monolithic to Microsoft to serverless. So what if we're just going to extend it to be able to do everything? Right. So you can you can see where things are going. You know eventually people are going to want to 
deploy applications in a, a serverless fashion where they're not addressing specific containers. They're just deploying their applications as collections of functions, and they can perhaps choose whichever cloud provider they want to deploy these functions onto. Maybe they do it based on price. Maybe they do it based on performance or some workload specificity. But we're not there today we're still in we're significantly far from that future in fact this you know this like you said the space moves very very fast not only does it move, move very fast it's very hard to tell exactly where we are in the timeline how far because i mean serverless people talk about it uh, a lot but as far as you know like I, when i was at kubecon recently plenty mm-hmm. of enterprises are are eagerly pouring money into buying a, a kubernetes provider or a collection of kubernetes kubernetes security or kubernetes monitoring and that's that's where the money is right now or, but it's it's very clear that eventually the enterprises will move toward towards more serverless stuff but it's just it's just not there yet so it sounds like you kind of wanted to hedge your bets a little bit and get into a market that today would have some customers yeah, so exactly, right? As you said, right now I'm a startup, right? Which means that I actually also need customer. And when I was in EMC, that wasn't my case, right? I could actually do whatever crazy project that I want because <laughs> my job wasn't to bring customer. We knew that, you know, we will have customer. That's not a problem. So, you know, here I need to have customer. And when, when you're looking at the, you know, the market and you understand what is the pain point right now for customer, it's actually not in serverless, right? I mean, they are still struggling with moving what they have currently, which is monolithic to microservices. And, Therefore, what we, but you know, but I'm a big kind of like open source person. I really like innovation, and I, I you know, I want to define the help define the future. So what I did is I said, and that's exactly where it's coming from. Is okay. So I want to move cost, help move customer to where we want to go, but I also want to you know to play in the ecosystem of the open source because that's where I'm usually playing. So what I did is exactly how glue born. It's by basically I said, well, I'm going to. Fix the problem that people have right now, which is for monolithic to microservices. But I know that in the open source, there's people right now have microservices already, you know, specifically, you know, they, they, you know, the Google of the world, but they might want it to kind of like also move to serverless and basically glue this environment. That's why glue, right? <laughs> basically glue this type of application together to one application. And that's basically the all use case. And that way I'm playing and I can get customer definitely because, you know, I don't know any enterprise customer that doesn't suffer from this problem today, which the movement, but I also bringing something to the open source community, which is interesting. And it's also a problem to solve. Right. So if I think about your product, Glue, or the, or the, the thrust of your, your set of products, the idea is that... Let's say you are Procter and Gamble, and you have all of these legacy applications internally, and you've also got perhaps some newer applications. Somebody within Procter and Gamble has spun up a Kubernetes cluster, and it does new things, and it does new things that would ideally leverage the old things. Perhaps you've got an old inventory management service, and you've you know you've got some API in front of it that you've built, uh, but you need to be able to glue together that legacy API and your newer Kubernetes installation, for example. So you want to be able to glue those two things together. Am I, or, or maybe you, you've done M&A and you've got three, you know, three different companies you just acquired and you want to glue those, those acquisitions to your 
existing applications. Are, are those some of the use cases that you you're trying to you're trying to um, appraise here? So Glue can do that as well. But I, what, I, what I think that is more important is the fact that a lot of the enterprise today that has a monolithic application, everything that they're doing new, which is, you know, Greenfield, they will do on Kubernetes, right? But the old things are still there. And usually what they're doing, they're, they decided to rewrite them, right? Refactor them. That's the biggest problem today. Now, there is two ways to do that. The first time, the first way to do it is just said, well, we need to get to a point that we're rewriting all these monster monolithic application to a microservices. That's one option. But that's a lot of the time is just not successful because there is a lot of functionality. It's very, very complex. And, and, and more worry is that even if you do try to do that, you're not writing any new feature on this time, right? I mean, I had a customer, for instance, that, you know, he had a monolithic application and they really wanted to move actually all the way to serverless. So they basically, you know, went to their boss and said, look, we want to rewrite it. It will be so much better. We can run faster, right? Everything will be so much easier for us. So the boss said, tell us how much time it will take you. So they went and did a research. They came back. They said, well, it will take us a nine month. And the boss said, so no. And here is why. Because that means two things. A, is that probably it will not going to take you only nine months. It's probably will take a year or a year and a half. And the next problem is that on all this year, I didn't get even one feature, which means that I will get fired, right? It's like, you know, you're innovating a new room, but you're only doing piping. In the end of the day, you know, you can't see that, right? So, so, so that's basically what we're trying to do. What we're basically telling our customers, we want you to extend the new functionality to the, you know, of this application to microservices and serverless, and we will glue it like it's one application. And then in your spare time, because we're cutting all of, and I will explain in a second, but we're cutting basically, we're breaking your monolithic application to function, you, which is really small unit of compute. You can actually move them piece by piece gradually when you have time. And, and, and you know, it's one of these. I mean, they need to learn new tools, right? I mean, if you're doing monolithic application, you will use something like Puppet, Chef, Ansible. You will have, I don't know, Splunk for logs. And you will have a probably SOA architecture. When you move into microservices, it's all a bunch of new tools, right? Because now it's distributed application. So you will use something like Prometheus and we use something like open, open tracing. They need to learn. And basically what we give them is time because we tell them, first of all, you're already going to the right direction because we're basically adding serverless and microservices in the new features. But also we're giving you the ability to gradually move it with no rush, Okay, so the com- the the company is Solo.io. The main product is Glue, G L O O. Explain what you have built with Glue. Okay, so so first of all, I will start by saying that Glue is a is a platform. In the point is that this is the base project. It's 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 it's, it's like Kubernetes in the terms of like we needed it in order to build what we really want, right? And now we're going to come with a lot of small product that you will see in the market. So what is Glue? So, so basically, we, you know, we are in the open source, and uh, Envoy is the best proxy. I mean, maybe let me start by explaining what we really want to do, okay? So when I look at all this ecosystem, what was the most important to me is to find the smallest unit of compute and basically try to break all the rest, rest of the application to this smallest of compute, and then I can miss and match it. So if you're looking at, you know, today you have monolithic microservices and, and serverless, which is basically function. But if you think about it, the monolithic is also built from exposed API function. 
And actually, also the microservices is basically built from an exposed API function. So if I'm actually managed to discover all of them in the monolithic, in the microservice, and in the serverless, all the function, now I can actually assemble application from these pieces. So what I need to do in order to do something like this, right, we need to A, basically break the application, which is mean discover the function and be able to route to them. And that's what we're doing. We're doing that with two things. We have a discovery service that it's A, discover all your infrastructure in terms of, you know, the regular upstream. So like Kubernetes and Cloud Foundry and everything we discover. And also, you know, your AWS instances. And then the, the other thing that we're doing, we're discovering functions. So if it's serverless, it's easy. It's just the REST API. But, but, if, but if it's not, we're basically supporting Swagger, so open API, basically, and our, a gRPC. So if you're using one of those, we'll be able to basically get the specification of the functions. So now assuming that I took all your application and managed to break them to, not to break them, but discover the function in them, now the only thing that I need is to be, basically be able to route to those functions. And that's where we use Envoy. So what does it mean route to a function? So Envoy is the best, for my opinion, proxy that exists there. It's worked very well with our use case. The only thing is that we wanted to extend it to route on the function level, because today every proxy that exists usually routes from route to a host or a service. So what we did, we basically used the, ser- the filters of Envoy and extend the filter with a base filter to actually route on the function level. So now every feature that you can get today in Envoy on the regular level, I don't know, red limiting, security, and so on, now, uh, transformation filter and so on, now you can actually get it on the function level. So I mentioned canary of function, though, not services. So we did that. We extend that. Besides that, we wanted to extend, you know, we wanted to make it very easy for the user. And we thought that if it will be on the request path, we would be able to manipulate the, you know, the calls. So what we did, we basically um, put there a lot of, uh, created a lot of filter that really, relatively, it's, it's basically working very well with functions. So for instance, a call for AWS with the signature already. Transformation filter to transfer from any language, from JSON, for instance, to uh, GRPC to, uh, to HTTP and so on. So we did all of this. So what we created is basically we took Envoy and extended its functionality to work with very well with functions and route on the function level. So that's the first thing that we did. But now it's Envoy, so we basically need to manage it. And what we build, we build Glue. And what Glue is basically, it's a service that watching three things. The first thing that is watching is upstreams and function, basically the discovery that we're doing. The second thing that is watching is the secret. So we're supporting right now Kubernetes secret and vault. And the last thing that we are watching is the configuration. So there is a configuration. So we're using right now either YAML, CRDs, or console. And if one of those change, glue getting this information, but it doesn't understand anything. And the only thing that it's doing is basically saying it to a plugin. So basically all the logic of glue is in the plugin, which means that it's really extensible. So for us to add features, support something, the only thing we need to do is basically add a plugin and maybe a filter in Envoy. And we basically define our language. We, we can extend our language. Okay. So from a, from a technical point of view, I, I understand what you're building. I want to put it in the context of a large enterprise that is doing this 
cloud native or microservices migration. So they're they're doing containerization, they're building out CI/CD pipeline, they're uh, instrumenting observability across their application. Where mm-hmm. in this process would would they start to use Glue, and how would that help them? So the first thing that they will do, they will install Glue, and it will discover all the environment. So no matter how much cluster there is, or which type of platform it is, or where it is, which cloud it is, they will discover all the all the application that's running. So now if we know all the application that is running, now they can start managing them. And what's good about Glue is that you basically, that way, can, and I can show you a demo with it, is basically you can actually take a monolithic application, I don't know, Pet Store or something like that, reading in Java, and start basically extending it by writing, I don't know, serverless or microservices, and then tell Glue, now extend that. So we basically, if you think about we are multiplexer, so we totally separate the, the client from the server, right? So you basically can... I take this monolithic application and said, now I write an extension piece in microservices. So that way you basically can tell Glue to extend the API. So now you basically have one application that is part of it is going to monolithic and part of it is going to microservices. And then the next step will be maybe to start rewrite. So this organization will go and say, well, I'm going to take this piece and I will rewrite it. And again, Glue will be the one who basically make sure that it will uh, basically, you know, route it to a different place, to the new functionality. So that's that. Besides that, we also in the request path. And because we're on the request path, we can help you with other things. So for instance, if right now you're moving your application from monolithic to microservices, there will be a point that most of your functionality will be in monolithic, but some of them will be in microservices or serverless. So the big question right now is how you monitor it. Right? Or are you using the how that is going to work? You need to monitor. You need to and to to get the logs. You need to, you know, debug it. But now it's you know, deployed and it's now in three separate places. So what we're doing is because we're on the request path, we basically has the ability because we're invoking in every function, we can actually suck the information from the other platform and bring it to one place. So for instance, if you're running application that is a monolithic running on VMware. Uh, infrastructure, then you have Kubernetes cluster and you're running their mi- one microservices. And then you have also AWS Lambda that you're running. What we're going to do, we're basically going to suck the logs from all those b- these places and suck the, the, you know, the metrics and basically give it to one place. So it will be, I don't know, for instance, Prometheus, right? Or Datadog or anything else. So that, so that's that. The same thing with open, open tracing. We're basically going to take all the information from the function and the monolithic and the microservice, fit it to open tracing. So now you can see actually a span that some of it is monolithic, some of them in microservice, and some of them is serverless, which I think really cool. And the last thing is that we also built Squash, which is basically a debugger for distributed application, which you can actually attach debugger. I mean, we're doing it very, very nice user interface. We, from the IDE, you can attach the monolithic application reading in Java to a Java debugger. You can attach the microservice reading in Go to, again, Squash is doing it, to a DLV, and then Node.js to the function. And then you basically can debug it like it's a one monolithic application, even though you're jumping across, if it makes sense. It's much easier to show it than to talk about it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I believe you. And and people can definitely check it out by going to solo.io. So can you help me understand how a company would integrate with with Glue? Like where along the path do I do I spin it up and how so you said it it can discover all of the services that I'm running. How does it do that? Like how does it plug into my existing infrastructure? So if, for instance, let's just take an example. Let's say that you have a VMware and you have a Kubernetes and you're also using AWS, just for lack of it, for the example. So we basically go into Kubernetes, ask for the, the, the upstream, that's easy. And then we're also looking at each of the upstream to see if you have any function that we can recognize. For instance, if you're running on this service and microservice, you know, on Kubernetes, you're running, let's say, application with Swagger. So we collect that as well, right? So we're basically going to find all your workload, cross clusters, and then besides that, also the function that's running on, on top of them. And also the, you know, the, the, the regular application that's running on top of it. So now if we know that, we can act as a, a regular API gateway, because, you know, by far the way we build it, I think that there's no question, we are the best API gateway that exists today in the market. But also, you can, we will give you a lot, a lot of tools to actually migrate those applications in case you want. So again, you decided that you want to take application A and you want to move it to somewhere else, you know, to a microservices. That's where you will def- basically use Glue. That's one, one option. The other option is that if you're looking at a lot of the offer today, like for instance, just for like with Cloud Foundry, they're using Kubernetes and Cloud Foundry today. So they have like the container runtime and also the application runtime. There is nothing that makes them work together besides Bosch who is deploying them. So we need something to glue that together. One place that people can actually see all the workload and, you know, maybe create an application that some of them living in, in this cluster and the other one living in that, the other cluster. That's where glue can help as well, right? So if you think about it, there's so much offer today in the market there is Docker, we're also giving Docker Swarm, and there is a DCOS, a Mesosphere that basically offering DCOS, but also Kubernetes. There is, uh, you know, Cloud Foundry, as we said. So there is a lot of, of, a lot of, you know, kind of like platform that today when you're building them, they're basically giving you two different clusters that are totally silos. And, and, and I think where Glue can help is basically glue them together as well. You mentioned this term API gateway, and I think it's synonymous with function gateway. There are probably some people in the audience that don't really know what these are. Can you describe what the purpose of an API gateway is? Yeah, so API gateway is, is not new, right? It was like, a, I think there was a lot of company that spin up before, like Apple and so on. Uh, basically, the API is the idea of instead of managing API of each server, right? So you have a lot of workload and each of them has an API. They basically abstract that and manage that in one place. And now you have a way to actually configure them on, for instance, security. You can see what. And you can manage them and make sure that they are secure and so on. So this is the API gateway. What we're doing, we're doing exactly the same thing. So we are, we're allowing you to use it as a regular API gateway, which means that, you know, a client come with a request, it should go through the API gateway and you can, you know, route it to the right place. But we also can offer you that the same thing on the function level, which means that, first of all, you can go and call function from a serverless, which we were already signing and so on and, uh, and making the call for you. 
And also, you know, you can go to a Swagger function and so on and get all the function, like, you know, again, that, that API gateway usually giving you, like, for instance, first of all, it's giving you metrics and monitoring and tracing. That's something that usually they, they're giving out of the box. Uh, but they're also giving you, you know, all of this, the, the regular functionality of uh, the security that they're putting on top of it, the management itself, transformation sometime, and so on. So the purpose of an API gateway is, like, I'm a company and I've got five development teams. One is building the sales software, and they've got their own servers and containers, perhaps. And the other, the, you know, the, then there's a marketing software team, and they're building the marketing software. And it's on a completely, maybe it's on Cloud Foundry. And both of both of these things, both of these teams are going to expose APIs. And the API gateway is the place where you can aggregate all of these different APIs and not really think about what backend infrastructures are running on. And the API gateway is a good place to standardize things like security practices. Yeah, security management and orchestrated, right? That's basically the three things that you will want to manage by uh, API gateway. But again, it's one place that the administrator said, hmm, I have, you know, five team, a lot of application, but in the end of the day, I can see and manage all the API in one place and make sure that you're and so on. So this is, on the, this is what is API gateway. And what we're putting on top of it is the fact that we also, basically, because we want them to move, to one of the big use cases that we wanted to apply is to the migration between monolithic and microservices. It was important to us to do everything that people are doing on the service level, but on the function level, that way there is smallest pieces that they will need to migrate each time. And that's giving them, you know, the ability to do it more gradually than actually rewrite their whole service, if it makes sense. So does a typical company that would adopt Glue, they already have an API gateway and you're trying to not necessarily give them another API gateway, you're trying to give them a function gateway, which is something that does not replace their API gateway? So we can do both ways. I mean, we can actually complement the, the API gateway that they have, the current one. But to be fair, I do believe that the Glue is the best API gateway that exists there. So, you know, I will recommend them to already take that as also the API gateway and get the both functionality. But again, it, we also can work side next to the, next to the, the, the legacy API gateways. Right. So if, so if I already have a legacy API gateway, to help illustrate what you can do, what would a function gateway, the glue function gateway, what would that be able to do to complement the existing API gateway? So there is a few ways. One, one way is just we're going to sack the information from the regular API gateway and basically do a chaining of proxies, which is not the nicest way, but if you really, really want to use your API gateway, that's one approach to do, which is basically a chain of proxies, which means that every time that request will come, it will go to the one API gateway, which is the, you know, the legacy one and will, you know, do the routing based on this. And then it will move to glue, will basically apply it more on the function level. That's one option. And uh, the other option is just basically to totally dismiss the other one, which is basically just to sack the information that he has and basically take over. And if I were to just replace my existing API gateway completely with glue, Mm-hmm. What what are uh, I think we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's revisit it. What are the additional things that I will get out of the glue API gateway? 
So again, I think that the difference between us or any API gateway is the use case that we are targeting. And all the things that we're doing in Glue today is all about migration. Take a monolithic application, transfer it to a microservices, transfer it to a serverless, right? So basically that's where we're targeting. So a lot of the features that you will get will be on that level. I will give you an example. If we already basically taking all the infrastructure and kind of breaking it to function, we're not really, but basically you can call it that way. So a lot of the stuff that are happening on the ecosystem of the function, like for instance, event-driven architecture, it's very popular in functions, right? We can bring it to the whole ecosystem because now everything is a function. Something like workflow that's very popular in, in, this, in the function level. Imagine that now you can actually chain functions, but it can all also be that the function is part of a monolithic or microservices. Again, much easier to show, but yeah. So you will get a lot of that, that functionality on top of it. And besides that, you're going to get the ability to, as I said, to extend your application in functions and the ability to actually bring also... So, so for instance, for event, what we're doing, we actually created a filter for nuts, which means that basically we can that way create an event and bring it to all the other ecosystem. Like, for instance, say, you know, monolithic application or microservices can be driven by events now. So a lot of this functionality that none of the, you know, none of the API gateway exists today. Besides that, as I said, most of the regular API gateway are not going to give you um, a discovery. That's not something that people are usually doing. And the other one uh, that we're giving that other is not giving is a lot of, so as I said, we can do a lot of transformation because we're doing it on the function level, because we know what the function is, so we can actually transform. We're doing a lot of security, which that's everybody will give you. Sorry, could you dive in deeper into that transformation? What do you mean by that term transformation? So I mean that you can actually do request or response transformation. Let me give you an example. Today, when you're actually running a Lambda, usually what it's giving you back, it's a JSON. But if I want this response to actually show in a, you know, in a browser, I want to return an HTML, for instance, that's something that we will do for you. So basically, you can say, I want to transform this JSON request to an HTML. And basically, it will, again, we are on the request path, so we can do a lot of remediation that way. So that's an example. Let's say that you have a backend of gRPC. You wanted to change your backend to a gRPC, but you're still using the old client, which is not a gRPC. So what we basically can do is transform it between that. And that way, you will not need to write a, a full new client in gRPC, if it makes sense. So that's kind of like a lot of the stuff. So imagine basically what the transformation is giving us, which I think is really strong, is the real way to decouple the client from the server. And today it's not like this because I will give you an example. Let's say that I have a server and in the server I have, you know, the domain and then I have the, you know, the API pack. Basically the way we work with most of the proxy, they will remove, you know, the initial, you know, domain and so on. But that means that on the backend of the service, you need to have this this basically path. So if you add just for echo it did the you know uh, it did uh, version one blah blah blah. You need to have this path on the service. Not in our case because we totally decouple it. So that's another example. So basically, we will will decoupling all the client from the backend. That's giving you a lot of use cases for for ins- for transforms again. You know, transform JSON. You know. Soap to rest and so on. And again, the API gateway works off of Envoy, which is a service proxy. We've done a show about Envoy if people want to check that out. 
Explain how the API gateway utilizes Envoy. So basically, Envoy is our proxy, which means that we're basically defining him on any request, what is the route that he need to go, and we're putting some filters on it. And basically, we can, you know, we're getting the request and we can do, a, you know, we can route to the right place, but we can also do a lot of, apply a lot of stuff on it. So for instance, we can, in, as I said, in, in, for instance, in AWS, we're basically putting the signature because we know the secret. So we're basically putting the signature so that way the user doesn't need to take care at all about, you know, applying uh, keys and so on. And we can do a lot of other stuff. So basically what we're doing is we're writing filter. This is the way to work with Envoy. And you can put a lot of functionality, a functionality that will imply on the, on, on the request path, on the res- uh, response actually as well. So, so that's what we did. So this is basically the proxy, but now you need to manage the proxy. You need to tell him what, where to route, how to route, you know, and, and that's what basically Glue doing or the API gateway. It's basically is, is giving a configuration to Envoy to know what, you know, what to do basically. It makes sense. And also, you know, because it's Envoy, so Envoy already has filter like stats D and, and, you know, open tracing and so on that we can actually leverage for metrics and so on. So, so again, we will, we will configure that. What Glue will do is we'll configure it, but in the end of the day, Envoy, you know, Envoy itself is the one that will get the, response, the request and, and act on it. And how does Glue compare to the, the service mesh model like Istio? Okay. So, okay, so Istio is a service mesh. That means that on every, every microservices that running in your, you know, on your your infrastructure on your on your Kubernetes, you're also putting next to it a sidecar with a proxy. And then you also trick this sidecar to always talk only to this envoy. Which means that that way the all the you know traffic in and out to this service is going through envoy. So now you can manipulate that, right? So now imagine that you have actually this all over the cluster. Now you basically can create mesh because all those envoy sidecar capable of talking between themselves. That's what service mesh is doing. What Glue right now is basically using as an ingress. By using an ingress, it's doing some stuff that maybe you don't need to do in a mesh. That's number one. Number two, you know, is not deployed as, as a mesh. We mean that when we are routing for Envoy, there is one Envoy that routes to, to the service itself, to the microservices. So... But, but to be fair, we are in Glue, we can actually also do service mesh. We just know, I mean, it is a service mesh. We're just not using it as one. So basically, we can give a multi-envoy, multi-configuration to different envoys. So for instance, when we, yeah. So, I mean, we can be a service mesh. We just, you know, there's already STO, so there's no point. Can we take another top-down example? Can you explain how a larger organization would start to use glue or maybe if you have an example of, of somebody who has adopted it or uh, is is experimenting with it how they have integrated glue and how they've made use of it yes i mean as i said i mean a good example is a customer that basically wanted to move from monolithic as i said this is the target that we are that we are basically targeting so you know that would be our customer so they basically wanted to move from monolithic to microservices they are actually decided to use glue as the api get right so that was kind of like easy for us. Basically put glue, we discover all the environment. They wanted to move for actually, they were on AWS and what they wanted to do is to migrate their monolithic application to Kubernetes. What we did is we basically ran in Kubernetes, discover also the instances of the AWS. And what we did, we basically managed them both. So all the API, all the immigration and so on. 
And then we basically let them extend new functionality on Kubernetes. When they want it, they would be able to, you know, rewrite the pieces and basically move them to a microservices. And all of this being managed by Glue in the terms of like that you can apply, you know, you're basically changing the route and it's working. And and and, and Envoy is so good that it's like we're using the um, the ADS uh, API V2 API. So it's so fast, it's so efficient, so you can easily change the, you know, don't go to these microservices. Those monolithic just go to these microservices. So that's an example of basically nicely migrated application from monolithic to microservice. And if you think about it, this is the reason that Envoy was built, right? I mean, I mean, it was before every company that did a real migration like this from Twitter to Lyft, basically they were using proxies. And I think that the reason Lyft was actually building Envoy or Matt Klein build Envoy is because of exactly this. They wanted to move from monolithic to microservices. So today everybody's talking in Envoy as to use case, usually using it in service mesh context, which is visibility, observability, and security. Uh, but I think that they are missing the fact that, more, that the, the, the first purpose of actually building it was migration. And that's where we kind of like leverage. Right. Okay. I think I understand it now. So Envoy is a service proxy and you use Envoy, you, you instrument all of your different services with an Envoy agent. And what Envoy allows you to do is things like like changing your routing on the fly or doing circuit breaking or being able to, I, I think uh, with Envoy, you can do things like routing, you know, perc- a percentage of your traffic from, you know, 30% of your traffic to the new service so that you can, you know, if you're rolling out a new instance of a service, then you want to route, you know, 10% of your traffic to it to make sure it's stable before you route 100% of your traffic to that new service. And so you've got all of your containers or your your servers instrumented with Envoy. And what you're saying is that Glue is useful for a migration because you are you you want to maintain all of your APIs uh, all, your, from your API gateway you want to have all of those have constant uptime while under the hood envoy is changing the percentage of of routing traffic and if you're if you wanted to migrate from your monolithic application to breaking that up into microservices then you're, wa- you're going to want to do this gradual you know, percentages of, of traffic changes in order to test it over time and gradually move it to larger and larger percentages to the whatever medium you're you're migrating to. So if you're migrating from a monolith to microservices or you're migrating from an on-prem uh, system to the cloud or doing hybrid stuff where you want to route, you know, the, you know, when you have to have a bursty workload, maybe you route the, the burstiness to you know, to, to, the, to the cloud, for example. Am I understanding things correctly? So, I mean, that's one of these cases, but that's, you will get one for a lot of others like retry, circus breaking, uh, rate limiting, traffic shifting, blue-green deployment, canary deployment, right? All of this you will get. But we also even doing that more because we want also the ability to actually change the route, right? But again, on the function level to the right, to the, you know, when you're actually migrating. So right now, if we're taking it and we're saying we have a monolithic application, there is 10 API for it, okay, just for lack of it. And I want it only to change the functionality of one of them, and we will be the one that will say, every time that someone brings me a request, I will go to the monolithic application, but this function, that when I will get this request, I will go to the microservices. 
So basically, you have one application that some of it is the monolithic, some of it is the microservices, and so on. And that's giving you, just gave you time to actually, instead of taking and do a blowout, kind of like rewrite of all the monolithic, you can actually cut it to an API call, if it makes sense, and take part of the application. And that's, as I said, this is the migration that's being done everywhere in Lyft and Twitter and so on. Can you describe that a little bit more? I think I'm I'm a little bit confused. Okay. I, I didn't understand your last point. Okay. So let's say that right now I have a Java monolithic application. Okay. It's exposed 10 function. Okay. 10 function that you can call. I don't know. Let's make it easier. Let's say that I have a calculator application and it's doing, you know, plus, minus, you know, multiply and, uh, and divided. And so I have four functions that actually, obstru- you know, expose in the monolithic application. So now let's say that I wanted to migrate this application. One way to do that is just to go and rewrite all of this as a microservices. Okay, now this is a simple example, but theoretically, let's assume that it's, you know, I need to create five microservices for it. Or, you know what, four functions, let's go, because it will be easier in the serverless. Okay, so that will take me time, right? Usually it's not that simple application, which means that we need to rewrite all these applications. It will take me time. That's what people are doing today. They're trying to take this monolithic application and rewrite all in either function or serverless. What Envoy letting you do is basically said, okay, let's continue route every time that someone doing plus, minus, or multiply, I'm ro- still routing to the monolithic application. But then I will take the divide function and only it, I'm going to rewrite it and put it as function, like a serverless function. Okay? So what will happen right now is this. I have this monolithic application. It's still theoretically, there's still four function in it, right? But only when someone will call plus, minus, and multiply, it will go to the monolithic. And when the customer will, the client right now will call divide, it will go to the function. You're basically running one application to the user. It's look the same thing, right? You see calc slash something, right? I mean, it's, it's t- totally look to him like a regular client. But on the back end, what's happening is that three of the function will be called in the monolithic application. One of them will be called on the serverless function. Right. So now basically, okay, now for this, now you have this application, which is totally separate, right? It's different type and so on. You still want to retry. You still need to do circuit breaking. You still want to make sure that the rate limiting is working. You still need to do the traffic shifting, blue, green, canary. All of this, you still want to be applied. So it will, but now it will do it like, you know, even though that your application is, you know, spread it around, it will basically end what will take care of all of this. I hope it makes sense. No, no. It's no, I, much easier to show them. <laughs> and then, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I understood. So uh, I want to talk about the broader Kubernetes ecosystem because you have, you have an idea for how things are going to go from the current popular model of migrating towards Kubernetes to more people adopting serverless and using that more aggressively. And I think one point of debate that's going on right now is the whole idea around should there be a standard around what an event is? Because many of these serverless functions get triggered on events. The way that people want to implement a, a serverless function is an event happens, you know, you upload an image to S3, and that event triggers a function call, a serverless function call. And and one of the things that people want, so some people want, is 
an open specification around those kinds of events. So for example, if I upload an image to S3, S3 would create an event that would be less S3 specific. So that if I wanted to instead use Google Blob Store or whatever it's called, or the you know if I wanted to use Ceph or some, I think Ceph is a is an is an object store, then maybe I could have cloud events that would be emitted from that object storage that would be not S3 specific. So explain why that's important. Why is the cloud events specification important? So if you will actually have a language or the protocol to the standardization of those events. Now, basically what you can do is to basically treat all those cloud, like one big virtual cloud, okay? So all the services, and basically you can orchestrate through them like a multi-cloud solution. So for instance, imagine that I'm, I don't know, I wanted to actually order an Uber, okay? So I'm clicking on this button. That will actually go to my infrastructure on-prem, do some stuff, okay? I don't know, look that my visa is good. Then go to a different cloud, like for instance, AWS, because that's where my storage is. So I want to get some information. Then take this information and actually go to Google and I don't know, use some other services that Google is supplying because maybe it's better than what AWS is supplying. And then I don't know, go to Azure and do something else. So this ability to actually leveraging all the services in all the cloud will be much easier if there will be one language that all those services were going to work. And then you imagine that you will have one big cloud and you can basically miss and match services. Okay, so, you know, take the best service that is work for you. And that also will mean in a way that you're not really locking to the cloud. So let's say that all your data is in AWS, S3. It's mean that, it's mean that the only thing that I actually need to run there is a one small function only when I need the data. I don't need to run my instance there, for instance. So that will give you the ability to actually not be locked to provider. Now, the problem with that is that the question if the provider is okay with that. But that's a different question, right? Because most of this um, movement, it's actually been done for people who has a fast offer that is basically, you know, kind of like an off, you know, like project like, uh, you know, the guys from serverless or the guys from uh, OpenFast or Fission or, you know, or projects for FN and so on. Those people who usually can run on-prem, of course, we would love that that will happen. I'm just not sure if this is something that the cloud provider themselves will be a big fan. Right. This is the same question I'm, I'm unsure of. Would AWS Lambda specifically, would they be wanting to, to be open to this, this cloud event uh, specification? And like all due credit to AWS Lambda, they invented functions as a service. They were the first they ones to... Market, right? The quick question is, why should they, right? I mean, if right. someone is on production today, serverless, most likely they're running on AWS. So for this uh, specification basically means that people will not have to, right? They will be able to run on Google Functions, but use the... Uh, I don't know why they should, because they're running this market anyway. But this is politics, right? It's not related to technology. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, this is a good question. From what I see... I, again, I'm not like, for what I see from far, I think that, you know, it makes sense that Google will do that, maybe Azure, because as I said, they are not owning this market. But I didn't see that AWS is very cooperative on this. And maybe I'm wrong. Again, I don't have all the data, but that's that's what I see from far. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll see. But but, but I think what, as I said, what's co- cool about it is that basically the vision is, and the vision is right. The vision, I'm mean, totally supportive of it. And as I said, I mean, when we've been glue, that's was that's where we start. When I pitch it to my investor, this is where we started. It's basically the ability to take all the cloud, create one virtual cloud that you can run f- workflow between them, that you can mix and match and so on. The problem is that the way I see that is that the future will be so far. I mean, it will maybe happen, but it will take a long time. So it's really cool, but I think that it will take a long time. That's why I extended it and said, you know what? Maybe that's, you know, that's also what Glue doing. Glue is definitely, like, as I said, because we build it as an event gateway. We build it as the ability to get events and route to different providers. So you can do that as well with Glue, but I will argue that that will be probably more popular in the open source community than actually in enterprise running this one. I mean, I have customer and he said to me, we are totally ready for a lot of cloud, but not the multi-cloud part, which is basically going between. So what's the go-to-market strategy? There's uh, like, when I was at KubeCon recently, there were lots of enterprises that were looking to spend money. And there were also lots of vendors that were pitching to the enterprises. So you you do have this two-sided marketplace where people are ready to buy and people are ready to sell. What's your specific strategy? Specifically for me, I we we open source the platform because that's what we believe, which is glue. We're building stuff on it. You will see a lot of stuff coming from us soon that are basically more specific offers. So instant, for instance, we just talk about two use cases of glue, right? One of them is the hybrid app, which is basically, I call it hybrid app, is the ability to basically glue application from different workloads. And the other one is, for instance, Event Gateway, which is the ability to only do this in serverless and basically be able, able to get an event cross-cloud and so on. That's a different offer, for my opinion, for different people. I don't think that enterprise will care about Event Gateway in that, that stage. So that's what we're going to do. We're basically going to wrap. And, and of course, we're going to put a lot of magic on top of this that we're not going to open source. But basically, you know, hybrid app is a one solution. It would be one offer for the customers. Event Gateway most likely will open source it because I don't believe that it's now, no one will pay for that. And there is a lot of more that we're going to bring soon. But again, I, I you know, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's going to be very cool. I think that, I mean, we'll be in like, two, in like a mo- less than a month, we will open source something that, for my opinion, will be huge. But we will see. I mean, I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Adit Levine, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Awesome. Thank you so much. Wow.